We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and live, the Awabakal and Waramai people, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. You're listening to Boob to Food, the podcast with Luca McCabe and Kate Holm. There is so much noise in the parenting space. And we don't mean the tantruming toddler. We understand it can feel confusing, conflicting and overwhelming. That's why we are bringing our years of experience as a midwife, nutritionist and naturopath. And of course, mums. So that you can confidently navigate the roller coaster of motherhood from boob to food and beyond. Each week you'll hear practical wisdom, expert advice and inspirational stories of other mums in the depths of this parenting journey. Let's Let's dive dive in. in. Today's episode is brought to you by The Perk Shop. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Boob to Food, the podcast. Welcome back, Kate. We haven't seen each other for a week now. It seems a bit strange after our <laughs> last episode. We were in Melbourne together, sitting on the floor of a hotel room, recording the intro, and now it's been a week since I've seen you. So I know. I can't believe that was a week ago. It's I gone know. really quickly. It has. <laughs> and we're going to keep this intro super short and sweet because the episode is a longer one today, but don't be put off because it's actually pro- – I, I always say this, but I actually think it was one of my favourite episodes we've done. <laughs> And we, this is one of the ones that we recorded while we were in Melbourne. So we were super uh, privileged to be able to go to our guest today, Dr. Billy Garvey's house and speak to him all about screen time for our children, but also the flow and effect of speaking about it for our own health as well, because mm. I'm sure we can all attest that we're all on screens quite a lot. And I do want to put it out there, this is not a screen shaming episode because trust us, as you will hear in the episode, we use the screens quite a lot for our children. Yeah, all three of us share yeah. <laughs> quite a lot about how screens enter our lives and, you know, as Billy mentions, and I'll let him take over, but it is something, technology and screens, they're something that are part of the world and the mm. world is changing and the way that we interact with the world and, you know, even like Luca and I are recording this right now over Zoom. Exactly, so yeah. without screens, you know, and without technology, we wouldn't be in your ears. Yeah, <laughs> and I know. We love being in your ears. <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship, isn't it? And it's one we mm. want to shield our little ones away from, but it's inevitably going to hit them. And so just learning how we can best tackle that, the boundaries around that, and other ways that we can support our children is what Billy is amazing at. So we'll pass it over to him. Welcome back to Boob to Food, the podcast, Dr. Billy Garvey. We are very excited to have you back for round two, probably have around three, four, five. There's so much to talk to you about. But today we wanted to chat all about screens. Um, But before we dive in, for those who haven't listened to the previous episode, which I think was episode Bye. I think so. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and also your family's changed since? Yeah, yeah, which is really exciting just (laughs) recently. So just out ahead of you, Case. But um, yeah, and I always feel a bit uh, too serious when someone's like Dr. Billy Garvey. Everyone just knows me as Billy. But yeah, I'm a developmental pediatrician and I'm really privileged that I've been working with families for about 20 years and just get to do this amazing stuff with them about. How do we support their growth and development, you know, and how do we help them land in a place where they've got quality lives, interactions, relationships, self-esteem, all that stuff. But I'm really lucky that like this I get to broaden out beyond like one family at a time, knowing how long our clinic waits are. 
And then my family is I have now a one-month-old and a gorgeous two-year-old who hopefully you guys will get to meet because they weren't here when you got here. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've got like a little tiny version of me, uh, my little girl that's like <laughs> no, bopping around um, with the same messy mop of hair. <laughs> and, um, Love it. So, yeah, really fun. And it's, it's been a really good lesson for me in the, um, the expert versus the reality mm, of parenting. Yeah. Always putting your, yeah, your work into practice. Yeah. It's, it's a lot harder <laughs> said than done, isn't it? It's a lot, a lot harder and I just kind of cringe a bit of all the time I spend in clinic kind of give, dishing out advice yep. and I haven't actually lived it yet. Yeah. I always think that with like food advice where my child's walking and crawling all over the table and throwing food and I think... Have I been given this, you know, just to keep me humble? I think yeah. so. <laughs> I always feel bad about morning sickness when I used to work with women who were dealing with morning sickness and I'd be like, just have some ginger. And oh, then yeah. like you're in it and you're like, oh, no, that doesn't. <laughs> That's not really going to help. ginger. <laughs> yeah. But there's also this really beautiful thing I think about the three of us that get this opportunity to talk mm. to community about it is that we can be honest about that experience. Yeah. I think that that kind of... I do it perfectly, I don't stuff this up, yeah. mm. can be unhelpful because people mm. watch that and go, what's wrong with me then? So, so true. Yeah. So true. That's how I justify all the mistakes I make anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> and you forgot to mention you have a podcast of your own as well. Yes, yes, Pop Culture Parenting, which is, um, yeah, a bit of a an expensive, time-consuming hobby. <laughs> um, but it's just, yeah, it's a really great opportunity for me to explore um, what I've learnt in clinic um, and what the evidence shows in a way that's practical. And me and one of my best mates, we use 80s and 90s movies for context. So it's um, it's got a lot of fun in it, but... A lot of evidence. One of my colleagues said that you're um, putting vegetables into lasagna, which was <laughs> one of the nicest things I've heard about that podcast. Yeah, I love <laughs> so, that. So, yeah. I actually love it because I learned so much about the movies mm. as well. Yeah. Like so I don't really get time to watch movies and then I think – oh, now I've got to put that movie on my list and then I end up watching it and loving it. Was there something better than the old classics? I know. There's so many I haven't seen when I go back, so. I know. This is how privileged I am that I complain about having to watch a movie for the podcast. I'm like, (laughs) I don't have time to watch (laughs) E.T. But my amazing partner, that's that's claiming work, you know. She has to do more of the parental lifting because I need to watch Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But you do have to watch it, find a part, you know, dissect it. Look yeah, the it is a lot to it. Yeah, and the reason is like, which is interesting for what we're going to talk about mm-hmm. today, is that you know how we parent is most influenced by how we were parented ourselves as mm-hmm. kids. But there's also the cultures that we grew up around, and I think there was a lot of unhealthy stuff that we saw where we're like, you know, that especially male, that male is so tough because he just sucked it up and didn't talk about his feelings or whatever. And the world is changing, so mm-hmm. it gives me an opportunity where. You know, I, I know that, you know, the fictional characters aren't going to come after me for how I speak <laughs> about their approach to supporting kids or responding yeah. to emotions. But there's actually a lot of really beautifully demonstrated evidence-based approaches like Aliens has beautiful mental health first aid in it. Terminator 2, John Connor explains to Arnie's character mm. what emotions are and why we have them. So it's just a nice way to open up that conversation that's meaningful and just trying to bring dads into this conversation as well. I think there's a lot of amazing mums out there that listen yeah. to a lot of content, but sometimes I think I can sneak in if it's like, we're going to talk about parenting without shaming our kids yeah. in the context of Remember the Titans. And yeah. So I think the second bit, some dads are like, yeah, okay then, I'll listen to it. Oh, well, I'm hoping that some dads listen to this episode too because obviously talking about screen time and technology, this is something that both parents need to be on board with and, mm. yeah, not have differing opinions, I guess, on it. It's got to be a combined effort to to make change and to 
yeah, what we're going to talk about today, I guess. So. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point of it, Luca, because one of the challenges we know that a lot of kids experience is that there's inconsistency around the way that they're getting supported through things they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that we all parent differently. All of us are lucky to have amazing partners. But if you are lucky enough to have a partner, you don't have to parent exactly the same way, but you need to have the same kind of support because what mm-hmm. kids don't need is the additional burden of looking around and going, cool, when I do this thing, this parent responds this way, but the other one responds a different way or the teacher's different to how my parents respond. And, Mm -hmm. you know, having that consistency around kids, whether it's screens or whatever it is, is really important and really helpful for them. It takes that Mm -hmm. burden off them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. So, and we're definitely not here to screen shame today (laughs) because I'm sure we can all say that we use screens. So I want to put that out there nice and early. This isn't an episode. No screens, goodbye. (laughs) No, of course not. And I have to tell a very quick funny story about years ago, I was doing a uh, seminar for parents and I just had the slide title of like screens or something like that. And in the auditorium, this dad stood up in the middle and was like, we are so sick of being screen shamed. (laughs) And I was like, totally, I hear you. And that's not what we're about Mm. to talk about because I I think there is this just guilt tripping that happens about like how bad is it that your yeah. child's seeing a screen or whatever. Yeah. I mean, can you speak to, because obviously like screens are everywhere and they seem to be becoming more integrated with different aspects of learning and life and um, it becomes quite difficult to avoid them or to minimise them even. Can you chat to, um, you know, some of the things that screens are doing to our children's brains? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a kind of collective impact that screens are having as the world has changed so much. Mm. Our communities have shifted to online. So mm. that's why it's amazing to talk to you both about this because there's a level of complexity around it. We, we're still in Australia. We have, you know, specific guidelines about screen time, but a lot of places in the world have dropped them because they found that they're not that helpful. Um, mm. Compliance was low and doesn't really guide you to say, you know, just don't let a two-year-old look at a screen and, you know, a five-year-old can look for an hour and, yeah. and you know, everyone else is, you know, two hours. It's it's a bit unrealistic and not really helpful about guiding what you can do. We see impacts in lots of elements. So we kind of know that in the early years, you know, we worry about kind of language development, for example. And it's not so much that the screens are bad in any element of what we're going to talk about today. It's that we have limited time for our brains to kind of learn and thrive and prune and grow and all that stuff. And screens just don't have the depth of opportunity in those interactions that the other kind of, that the other um, avenues like engaging with you guys. I was really lucky that I just got, you know, to have an hour conversation with you both that was probably richer in my development, our connection, you know, professional relationship, all that stuff than if we'd done it via a screen because I can pick up all these cues from you. We learn that as kids. We learn how to interpret facial expressions, body language, you know, the subtleties of communication that screens, you know, just don't have that yet. So there's this concern around language development, but it's not because the screen is evil. It's just it doesn't have the level of depth. It doesn't have the reciprocity either, so the kind of return component of it. Like, you know, I'm sure you all have these. I have stuff that Evie watches that I'm like, yeah, cool, I'm happy to watch that. And then when she wants to watch, you know, certain things without shaming those shows, I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> and one of them does like the pause, you know. It's like, hey, kids, what do you think about this? Oh, and, the kids, no. yeah. and I just, I don't know about you guys, I really struggle with that stuff. And she's not saying anything. Like there probably are some kids that are saying stuff back. Yeah. But, you know, they've built that to say, look, we're getting kids to talk. But the reality is the screen or show can't tell if they are or not. And that's a really important part of how we guide kids through language development is 
have you understood me? What's your body language doing? This is what my body language is doing. So, yeah, we can talk about there's impacts all through development, but that's one of the early ones that we know kind of that screens can be detrimental to, but not as a guarantee. If your kid's spending a lot of time on a screen, it doesn't mean they'll have language problems. It just means there's a higher risk that they're missing out on richer opportunities. Mm. I've actually heard of kids who are watching shows that incorporate other languages and they actually end up somewhat bilingual, like just from you know, picking up words and phrases in the shows that are not in their, you know, family language at home, which, I mean, how far that goes, I have no idea, but it's quite interesting and, and sweet. I think that there's that from a positive perspective, like sometimes exposure in it another way. So there's, there's heaps of positives to screens, you mm. know, like I often get asked, are you for or against? And mm. it's like, it's one of those annoying answers where it's like, it's more complicated than that. Mm. But mm. there's heaps of positives and it can actually be positive in guiding interactions and language development because it can be used as a tool to assist that. You're right, we can get access to like other mm. languages through screens and we can get access to like good visual aids to explain what's going on. Like Play School and Sesame Street, mm. those shows do that phenomenally well. They... Like Sesame Street is amazing. It's been running for decades and it's really understood that how do we connect with kids and provide education and give them good understanding of emotions and all that stuff. And that's mm. that's a really good example of a positive one. Some of the stuff that you watch where it's just like flashing lights and not much happening, yeah. you know, you worry about what, what are we getting out of this? Like mm. besides, which is fine sometimes, but besides the distraction component of like I need to get stuff done, yeah. I'm just going to throw on this like flashy show and just know that that'll give me a 20 minute window. Have you watched Teletubbies as an adult? I watched it back a little while ago and I thought, what am I watching and what did I used to watch? It's like yeah. someone on acid's written. Those experiences as a parent are really funny, aren't they? Like yeah. I was really into Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, growing up. Like he's this terrible martial arts actor <laughs> and the movies are terrible. And I'm like, oh, my God, the fact that I put parents through this and like all that stuff. And so, yeah, it's funny, isn't it, that you kind of – yeah, it's, it's really interesting how your own experience comes out in that stuff. Yeah. Mm. It's a really important point as well because I don't know what it was like for both of you, but I grew up watching lots of TV. Mm. Do you know what I mean? The reason yeah. that our podcast is like that is because Nick and I grew up watching lots of movies, you know, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I don't think it had this hugely detrimental impact on me mm. because I had all these other opportunities to support my development that wasn't coming through that kind of screen time. And that's what I spend a lot of time in clinic saying. I'm not even interested in reducing how much your child is watching screens. I'm interested in elevating the opportunities they're missing out on in other parts of their development in life. Mm. But, yeah, so I hope that makes sense, but it's a really important bit Um there's also lots of kids with neurodiversity where screens are really safe, protective environments for them, where they're in an environment where they feel a lot more comfortable exploring social interactions without a lot of the other kind of stress, anxiety-inducing environments. And so what I see in clinic is a lot of people where that's their social community and I would never challenge that or want to reduce the exposure that that child has to building their self-esteem and relationship skills through mm. the video game that they're playing or the, you know, whatever they're doing online. So it's a really important bit and I used it about five years ago to justify uh, that I needed to buy a new PlayStation because <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting in clinic talking about video games with kids and I could realise it was about Fortnite and I could realise these kids knew that I was pretending that I knew how to play it. <laughs> and one kid was like, that does, has nothing to do with Fortnite, what are you talking about? And I came home that night and said to Annalise, I was like, 
I've got to start playing Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets me so much street cred because I like <laughs> actually know now. You're with though. Yeah, well, yeah. it's, then, I mean, that's the other thing is it's this amazing opportunity to connect with that mm-hmm. stuff and what we know. There's an amazing colleague of mine in the States called Devorah Heitner. I don't know if you both heard of her, but she's phenomenal. She's an academic that has done what the three of us are trying to do is bring out understanding the evidence in a way that's practical. But she's written a big, uh, two books, uh, Screenwise and Growing Up in Public, and she talks about this, like this is a really important part of how do we help kids navigate these spaces and that's what we should be doing instead of the black and white, like you can't do it or you can do it. Mm-hmm. It's how do we support them in navigating screens, social environments, video games because just like every element of life there's vulnerability in it as well mm-hmm. and she talks about that's our role is to guide them through, make them feel safe talking about it, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think too, I think as a parent, you know, I, you know, obviously don't want my children to be on screens all day and have, you know, like you said, rich social interactions and go play on the laneway and do things. But then I think, well, I'm being a bit hypocritical because they see me on a screen. I mean, I I justify it because I work on a screen mm. all day. I work at the computer or my phone and I love that my job gives me flexibility to be able to be with the kids more, but in the detriment it means that I'm working around the kids a lot, which means that they see me on my device a lot. And I think, well, that's me being quite hypocritical if I say to them, oh, no, you can't watch that because of this, blah, blah, blah. But then they see that I'm on mine. Yeah. And I think that's probably a really big one for parents is that we're all on devices. Like, well, yeah, the world has changed. It was mm, easier for yeah. our parents to be like, you know, you'll just read a book or whatever yes. because the world didn't exist on devices. Yeah. And, yeah, you make a really good point. I see a lot of families in clinic that they're like, how come this kid's obsessed with the phone? And I'm like, because we're all obsessed with ours. Mm, yeah. Like the moment it makes a sound, we go to it. Like Evie's at the stage now where she often brings it to me and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, God, you're just realising how much this controls my world. Yeah. And so she does that and it's... Yeah, we are. We've got to remember as parents, we are role modelling in what we do, not what we say. Like yeah. they'll watch what we, how we behave, as opposed to you know we're saying you shouldn't be on the screen so much, and they're like mm. you say that, but you're mm. on the screen all the time. Yeah. I know, and it's hard to say. Oh, well, Mum's working. Like I'm not, you know, watching something. Um, mm. but they don't understand that. All they see is a phone in my hand or the computer at the. You know, now my kids have started like filming themselves doing cooking shows because that's what they see me doing. <laughs> yeah, amazing. <laughs> and, it's good, but then I'm like, oh, the way they talk, I'm like, do I sound like that? <laughs> it's confronting? Like, I'm booped to food. I'm like, oh, no, it's yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Like. But they do, they just model everything from us. And so, yeah, would you recommend then that we try and not use screens as much in front of them? Would that be a recommendation that you have? Yeah, I really like how you said like try because (laughs) if my goal is to walk out of here and then just whenever I'm with a vet be 100% present with her and never check my phone or never use screens then I'm just going to set myself up to feel like a failure and I don't want to do that to myself or anyone else that listens to this stuff. Um, What I think is a helpful thing is to not be thinking about – so the two big things that I think are helpful are kind of when try as much as possible to have shared viewing with your kids at any age level. So like the young kids, you got to sit there and check the content they're watching, what's the impact, how does it engage with them and that's relevant for me at the moment because we went overseas and we used screens heaps like for the plane, you know, for the restaurants and stuff. We wouldn't have been able to do it without it and we didn't like the moment we sit down at the restaurant and go, here's the iPad and then, but, you know, we, we used it, you know, carefully but we definitely used it a lot 
but we've come back now and I came home from work the other day. I'm like gone for 12 hours and roll back in and Evie was watching something and she just saw me and she's like, go away because she knew that when I came in the screen was going to stop mm. and Annalise and I talked about it that night and went, cool, let's not use it like that because we don't want it to be between me and the screen because mm. I'll lose. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's important to realise that it's a thing that we try most of the time and not all the time but we try and sit down with her and watch something yeah. as opposed to something that's really stimulating for her and when we're asking her to do something else that's challenging. Now, that's what works for her. That doesn't mean every person with a two-year-old needs to have that approach. There'll be heaps of two-year-olds that can disconnect with them fine and that's okay. Evie just showed me a sign she's struggling with it so I'm not going to put that burden on her or us as a family mm-hmm. and we'll use it differently and I'll just adapt and watch and that might be different in six months' time but I see a lot of families in clinic where that's the hardest thing, getting kids off screens and devices at the end of the day and it's just hard. None of us have kids because we're like, I just want to battle with people I love mm-hmm. every evening for bedtime. So yeah. just, yeah, how can we scaffold different ways of using them? And how would you recommend then that we, if our children are on screens and we're, you know, wanting to draw a line because it's dinner time or bath time or whatever it might be, how is there ways that we can support them to finish up with the screen that isn't going to lead to a meltdown? Yeah, the hardest (laughs) thing is everyone is like, what do I do in that exact moment? (laughs) And there is, like, and we talk about that from like a higher level mental health first aid perspective, but another simpler level of like you just co-regulate with them and soothe them and validate that experience they're having but then guide them in the level they're needed to what the desired behaviour is. The hard thing is the most of the work happens outside of those moments and that's about like we've sat down as a family and we've talked about this is what we want our evenings to look like. Now kids as they get older should have more autonomy and input on that. So the teenagers should say, well, this is what I want. Mm. Younger kids should too, but they can't be like, I want ice cream for dinner every night, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) to just sleep at midnight. So we have to put boundaries and those are important for kids. But the the old school like it's just that way because I say so isn't as helpful for kids to kind of understand reasoning and so what we do is we say look we really we all enjoy doing this stuff it's an element of life has creative outlets you enjoy video games you get to be with your mates social media but these are the limits we've all agreed to around it because all this other stuff is important to us and that's the hook and the hook will be different for everyone in a family. So the hook for me might be because I've got so much stuff to do I need Evie to get to bed. She doesn't care about that at all. Mm. So just her whole life course she won't. She's not going to be a 17-year-old going, I'll do this because it'll make your life easier, <laughs> you know. So, so what's the hook for her and about, you know, what we do is we talk about like how important it is that we have energy for tomorrow for all the exciting stuff we're going to do and that's the narrative that Annalise and I use and we help her and guide her through that transition to bedtime and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's a really important bit of like how do we – the most important part of parenting is what we call reflective practice. There is a million different ways and if anyone says to you this is a one way to parent, Mm. they're just making it up. That's their opinion. (laughs) The evidence is that as long as you reflect on how you're parenting, that's the important bit and go, this is what's important to us as a family. We all sit around and watch TV every night together. It's a shared experience that we have and that's how we finish out our night. That's fine and a lot of kids will cope well with that. Some kids will really struggle and then you just adapt to it or Mm. it'll put pressure on, take resources away, stress out parents. You know, that's the important bit that we spend a lot of time thinking about what does this individual child need and what's important to us as a family. I'm conscious that a lot of our listeners have younger children who might not quite understand, you know, 
the back end story mm. and when we're explaining these things. So I guess for those, if we can obviously put those practices into place, definitely, but then in the moment as well. Yeah, totally. And the back end story, the important <laughs> bit is the back end story because, yeah, Evie can't really conceptualise that. Often the back end story is for us. Yes. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. the kind of why am I doing this, yes. you know, and you're saying it out loud but you're kind of saying it to yourself as well. Yeah. You're like my role here is to guide you. Yeah. That's what we talk about, the like, Often instead of it's okay when kids are dysregulating, it's good to say I'm here because mm. it, it doesn't dismiss their experience but it also reminds us my role is not to say it's okay, mm. it's to say I'm here. Yeah. And so, yeah, in the moment there's a lot of stuff around that but it's also – so some people will find that like having that discussion first and then having cues through the moment. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is really clearly explain what the expectation is like, you yeah. know, with a younger kid. You know, mummy said now that we're going to come off it – and if you get even an, an inch of a insight mm-hmm. that that's going that way, then you specifically immediately reinforce it and mm-hmm. go, that's so good that you closed the iPad. I'm so impressed that you went and handed to mum and maybe they were just shifting in their seat or something like that. <laughs> but you're just looking for any opportunity to reinforce because what we do is we unintentionally reinforce the struggle. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is the kid gets really upset and doesn't want to hand the phone back and we get stuck in a just a double negative opportunity of where to give in and go, yep, cool, you scream, so I'm going to let you keep the phone. Kid learns, I just scream, it helps me keep the phone. Or we take it and use a punitive measure and say, you're not having it for another week, and then that reinforces that strategy for us. Mm-hmm. Those are all fine and at least half the time we're all going to be doing that stuff. But what you want to do is try and find times where you're like, no, well, I, I said, you know, we're going to have a break because we're going to do something that transitions into it that you'd like to do that we've agreed is important. And we actually transitioned, okay, so I'm going to reinforce that in the moment and go, that was amazing. And that's actually how we develop skills in emotional regulation, impulse control, empathy, understanding the perspective of others, all those things are in the moment stuff about reinforcement as opposed to consequences mm. or punitive stuff. It's, it's not very helpful. And a lot of kids in clinic, younger kids, older kids, they just won't care. They'll be like, yeah, cool, take all my pocket money, I'm never allowed out again and all that stuff. I just want the phone. Yeah. I just want the iPad. I want it. They can't tie that kind of immediate need with the long-term consequences. It's just too much for them from their developmental capacity. And I know we talked about earlier about what screens are doing to the brain, but what about that addictive component? Yeah, it's a really important part of it, Luca. Like, and I don't know about you, I really struggle with this as an individual. You know, I do so much work-wise, the same as both of you on devices and screens and phones, but I have a tendency. If I'm bored, I'm on it more. If I'm Mm. stressed, I use it more. Like those are all things that we know when you get into kind of, you move away from moderate engagement with activities, whether it's, you know, wine or it's it can be anything like I'm like this with exercise I just get dysfunctional with it because I need it as a coping mechanism and so for a lot of kids what we've got to try and do is think like they're on this a lot what's going on so and as opposed to like just going I need to get them off it Mm -hmm. being a bit curious about what's the experience of this kid and why I wonder why they're spending four hours a day like at the end of every school day lying on their bed just scrolling through their phone Mm -hmm. or I wonder why my child suddenly is needing the iPad a lot more. And it might be boredom, but it might be that they're anxious and that that's helping them. It might be that they're struggling with their self-esteem and they're seeing kind of content that's reinforcing that and they're trying to kind of be validated through those sources. So there's lots of reasons. But I think when we see that, we see it as a symptom and go, 
they seem addicted to this screen, but trying to think about what's going on underneath for that child and how can I support them, how can I think about that and how can I also reach out if it's getting too much for me. So we do a lot of work in communities about that, about as a family you shouldn't feel like you need to hold all of this on your own. You shouldn't be kind of just hitting your head against a wall going, I can't have a conversation with anyone in this house because we're all on screens and all that stuff. There's a lot of us that are experiencing that but there's a lot of kind of things that we can do to help kind of when we start to understand what's the experience for that child or that parent that's struggling with that. Mm. I guess like so many of the devices are designed to be, you know, engaging and addictive, like the, you know, manufacturers of the apps or whatever, they want you to be spending more time and they know how the brain works. They know how the eyes track, how like the flashing lights and whatever, like there's, you know, I've heard even, um, can't remember where it was, but there was, the like you scroll down to refresh an app and apparently there's like a similar thing with poker machines like it's that like scrolling to get the change doesn't have to be like that but there's that um I guess reward part of the brain that's activated and so acknowledging that sometimes when children or adults (laughs) have gone into this kind of vortex of being on a device there's things working against us so if you're already vulnerable in terms of you're feeling anxious or you're looking for validation or whatever it might be the device is sometimes like kind of feeding into that as well, like not releasing you. So you do need that outside scaffolding to help bring you back out again. Yeah, so what they, a lot of them have been set up to have is they don't have an opportunity to pause and mm. reflect on whether you want to keep going with it. Like the platforms that scroll intentionally do that mm-hmm. so you don't have to like stop, think about it and click, I want to keep on going with this. You just mm. keep engaging and it's really hard regardless of whether you're anxious or not and that's why you're doing it, Mm. if you're just bored and you're engaging with it, it takes a lot of effort to step out of it. Whereas if you're reading like chapters of a book or whatever, you've got to be like, cool, do I want to keep reading this? Mm. And there's that kind of forced reflection on do I want to continue with this activity? So that's the hard thing and that's because those places are trying to maintain engagement. It's all about how long we view stuff for, like Mm. how engaged we are with that as a resource, but we've got to be careful that often that's not our intention. You know, our intention is I want this bit of information or I've just got five minutes mm. that I want to have some downtime. And, yeah, it can be like, it can be really helpful for me to switch off as well, but I've got to try. I'm constantly working on that balance between at the end of the day I find that stuff really entertaining, mm. you know, but I've got to be careful that I don't then go, I'm going to go to bed an hour later because mm. I've just stayed engaged with this thing because I never got to that reflective point. And it's a skill that we need to help our kids learn and kind of go, how do I use this in a healthy way? And we just have conversations about it. We role model it, what Luca was talking about. They're watching what we're doing. How do we role model? And we don't role model perfect. Mm. We role model conversations like, I can't believe yesterday I spent that much time on the phone Mm. or I didn't get that stuff done because I sat and watched the TV show or whatever. I'm frustrated with myself. I'm going to attempt this strategy as a way to do it better and then reflect back and see how it goes. And it's really important that there's open dialogue around Mm. those internal turmoil that we're having and struggles because then kids go, oh, it's not something wrong with me that I struggle with this as well Mm. and I'm seeing how mum does it and what works for her, what's going to work for me as a way to do that. So it's, yeah, those challenges need to kind of be out in the open for us. I think Mm. it's a really important bit of it. But, yeah, they're just designed like that, Mm. you know, they're... Yeah, they're not thinking about us or our kids' development (laughs) and they're like, how do we sell more ads? (laughs) We'll be back after this short break. Today's episode is brought to you by The Perk Shop. 
The Perk Shop are based in Byron Bay and make locally made timber furniture and custom builds with a specific and very cute range of beds for our little people. Yeah, I can't wait to get one of these for Will when we transition him from cot to big bed because their beds are really low to the ground, which is just the perfect transition for our little ones. But they also, well, some of the range comes with big kid legs that lift them off of the ground to transition them all through their teen years as well. They're handcrafted from sustainable Australian hardwoods in Byron Bay, finished with healthy, non-toxic, kid-friendly oils and designed in a simple way with subtle details so they stay in your family for many years to come. Yeah, it's no uh, secret that I love something that's very aesthetically pleasing as well as functional, (laughs) so we're super happy to have found this brand and you can also get a 10% off discount using the code BOOPED food and the code is valid until the end of september 2023 you can visit www.theperkshop.com and perk is spelt p-u-r-c now let's get back to today's episode and so then i guess for like young kids who might be watching either a show or a movie would it be then better to have like say a show where there's short episodes and there's that moment of pause to switch it off or a movie where there's like a finite end in terms of being able to support them to to come off the screen yeah definitely I think those those kind of chapters or you know end points in things make it easier and sometimes that can be the best way for early skill development in that stuff is that it's a set time we do this like we we do this at the moment we, we were just like this is a, not something we do every day but we do it as a thing where we choose it's an activity that all of us want to go and we and it's currently aerial because it's like the little mermaid and it's the hair and all that kind of oh. stuff. But it's cool because we also like sing the songs outside of it. We, you know, she has toys like that and all that stuff. So it's this narrative that's helping her with her imagination, her language development, her coordination, all this stuff. But probably the least helpful bit of all of that is when she sits on the couch and just stares mm. at the movie. But I'm, you know, we're intentionally practicing that. I think the risk of like, we just don't ever engage with screens is that kids will get to say school environments where everyone else is on screens and they haven't had opportunities with more scaffolded support to learn how to navigate that stuff and they get there and go yeah and I I I remember seeing a kid in clinic who just had never seen a tv or any screen or anything this phenomenal family had shielded this kid from it right up until I think it was year seven or year eight Mm. And he really struggled with it because he was just like addicted and, you know, really hooked on it and all those things because he's, his four, five, six, seven-year-old brain never got the opportunity to learn this stuff. And it's, it is, it's challenging. I'm sure you're both the same. Like I, I've stopped looking at my screen time every week. <laughs> oh my gosh, like, I turned that off when it alerted <laughs> me. It was awful. Well, and the pandemic was really hard for this because we kind of yeah. all, this was where everyone was. It was the only way to engage with everyone yeah. and we still needed that connection. Mm, yeah. Kids still need that too. They still need a connection. So if the only connection you have or the place you feel safest is online, that's often mm. where it will be. And so is there an age though that you would say like don't do screens? So the... The interesting thing is the guidelines would say that kids shouldn't be looking at screens before two years of age. Yeah. I did not meet that. <laughs> um, I think we can probably also meet that. Did you meet that? I almost did. So with Jude, we um, second time around though. Yeah, not second time around. So we <laughs> I the like first time, yeah. But. Screen started with Jude when I was pregnant, and that was a real like coping mechanism for me mm. because I was so unwell. So I, I honestly, I couldn't. I found it really difficult to parent any differently. Yeah. 
And then once they started, it's very hard to go back. And I could also see that there was some positive, you know, changes, like you said, with his imagination, the way he played, it kind of opened us up to, um, I don't know, different, different interactions, like games that I hadn't thought of. And it was quite nice in a way. And it wasn't, you know, all day, although sometimes <laughs> yeah. it sometimes was when I was really sick, but then Bowie, when she was born and so she's got an older sibling, it's right from when she's a baby. And I try to use screens like when it's, you know, I need to put her down for a nap and so Jude can watch a show or something. But again, it just becomes integrated. So like, yeah, definitely <laughs> didn't make it to two for her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, and I imagine we're going to have the same experience because mm. it's not like we can go, stop Evie, we've got to wait until Charlie's yeah. due now, you know, and we can't, it's really hard to juggle, especially when mm. it's just you, more than one child. Mm. But, yeah, I think it is, the reality is that the guidelines say that. But I, I think it's it goes back to that point of it's not so much about the negative consequences of really young kids seeing screens. It's that, you know, for the amount of hours they're awake in a day, if they're spending a lot of that time watching a screen, they're missing out on that interaction. And the interaction in early years, especially the first three years of life, is so, like you both know this professionally and personally, it's so important and there's just very limited interaction that happens on a screen. Mm. So that's the challenge is that their brain is not learning the wiring connections of attachment. Yeah. As good as play school is, there's none of that in it. You know, that only really exists when a person is sitting there with you, responding to you. Mm. and kind of doing that social dance that happens from the day kids are born. Yeah. You know, it's a really important bit. But just like Charlie is starting now to smile and stuff, so I'm finally getting that reinforcement, but they need that reinforcement back too mm. and it just doesn't happen through screens. That's the challenge of it from and a development so perspective. would you recommend that you limit screen time, like put, you know, time limits on it or – days of the week that you can watch it or like should there be any sort of um, structure around that? Yeah, so the best evidence around that kind of stuff that relates to more broader kind of strategies is that we kind of sit down and go, this is what we're going to do. So we've decided as a family and you can obviously speak to your partner about this and obviously young kids can't really have a conversation about this. But And then you kind of go, this is what it's going to look like. And then what you do is you kind of reflect back after two to three weeks and go, how did we go at reducing um, – you've got to try and be as specific as possible. How did we go with trying to reduce in the evenings how much time we all just went off and sat on our own devices? Because that's what we all decided was something we wanted to improve upon. And if you go, cool, we got a little bit better, you go, awesome, let's keep going with that. The problem with a lot of families that we see in clinic is they've got these like strategies they've got in place and you go, how long have you been doing it for? And they're like six months and you're like, is it working? And they're like, we're not sure or no. Mm. And you should change the strategy. And one of the most common things we see in developmental paediatrics is the expectation is too high. And if we set too high an expectation on our kids or ourselves, we are very likely to fail at it. And then we just kind of feel guilty and shame about my kids on the screen too much and it doesn't help. It makes us just feel like crummy parents. So I think that's the strategy I think that's useful is what does it look like? And it can be a time restriction. The best way to approach the time restriction is what can I make sure is happening? So if you say to especially older kids, I just don't want you on the screen, mm. and especially if the alternative is like homework, they're going to be like, 
yeah, cool, you're just reinforcing me want to be on the screen. But if we can kind of guide them and say this is what we do in the evenings, you're a part of the family, you're a valued member because you're doing this with us, it can be a bit more helpful than just don't be on the screen, mm. you know, stop being on the screen. It's, it's the same for us as individuals. You've got to fill that space and that need with something that's more appropriate and helpful. Mm. And does it make a difference with the type of show that a child's watching? Um, a little bit. There's not a lot of evidence on this. There's some kind of um, marketing around language development and stuff like that. I think that um, it goes back to the kind of as opposed to the type of show, it's how does my child respond when mm. they're with this. And like, you know, a lot of families will say, God, if they watch that show, they're just wild for the rest of the day or I really struggle to get them off that one. Um whereas some of the families will say certain shows for their kids are actually quite calming, Mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah, and it's also like I steer Evie towards the shows I have an interest because Mm -hmm. I'm more likely to stay engaged with her and watch her and be a part of it than if it's some of the stuff I don't like, I'm usually sitting there next to her on my phone Mm -hmm. and I may as well not be in the same room as her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do I kind of watch what stuff and what content works for us? Um, but, yeah, and the educational component stuff of it is, you know, if there's a learning element to it, it's great. You know, if it's simple stuff like counting, if it's learning about other cultures, all of that stuff is really helpful as opposed to just the kind of bright flashing lights. And that's where things like Bluey have kind of come into this space phenomenally well mm-hmm. because there's lessons in it, but it also has this really powerful thing that it makes us reflect on how we parent. Mm-hmm. So oh that's gosh, everyone loves so many times <laughs> yeah, in Bluey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's different, isn't it? If you think about some of the other shows, and I don't want to call them out, but I'm sure we all three of us are thinking of them. Where you're going, <laughs> I can think of one in particular. <laughs> yeah, but you're like, I'm not crying, I'm not laughing, I'm not. I just wish that would end. Yeah. <laughs> you're probably right about the impact it's having on your yeah. child as well. That it's just it's less hard helpful. though because they're the ones that allow you to make dinner. <laughs> totally. When you have a two year old, they're the ones that you're like, I just actually need twenty minutes for you just to sit there while I do something. And this show is going to hold you for 20 minutes. And I know it's terrible, but no, I need but it. It's, it's, I, yeah, I, I don't know if it's terrible. I think one of the things that we need to do is give ourselves permission to use this stuff like that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it has to have that broader reflection if you're like, you know, I'm finding that because I'm so depressed and I'm so lonely and disconnected and worried my child is only really on screens when they're at home with me. And that's not a – the answer isn't get them off screens. It's mm-hmm. like get the support around me I need as a parent. Mm-hmm. But I think that I need to make dinner and put a screen on is completely fine mm-hmm. and I there is no evidence that that has any developmental mm-hmm. negative impact on kids. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an important one because I'm the same as you, Luca. I'm like – I just feel guilty, you yeah. know what I mean, when I'm using it like that. Mm-hmm. But – I've got to make dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> With a two-year-old, it's pretty impossible to do yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. She it? helps out and, it, you know, I'm pretty slow as it is, but it takes <laughs> ten times longer. Yes. Yeah. We've been really intentional just because I'm like, I can't deal. If I'm going to have to reenact this show, it has to be something that I'm okay or if I'm going to have to listen to a song from it, like <laughs> I'm, I haven't gone there with some of the shows that I'm assuming you're talking about because I'm like, I don't want to have to have this on replay, like at least with Bluey, if we're going to play the games from Bluey or I actually realised um, Jude said something the other day and I was like, oh, my 
gosh, that's so smart. And then it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, no, he just repeated a question from Bluey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I learned from Bluey. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Like it's, yeah, it's, so that's the kind of point. The hard thing is, I mean, we even have this with books, so we can't pretend that it's just with screens. There's Mm, like one book that Annalise and I just Mm. hate reading to a movie (laughs) and she always finds it. You like see it and you're like, oh, my God, (laughs) (laughs) that book. You know, so I got in trouble the other night because, um, She'd hidden it, but I <laughs> I unhid it and so Evie found it. But, you know, we have that experience with lots of things, don't we, where we're like this is harder to enjoy this with you because of my experience with mm-hmm. it. And so it's important that we think about that. That's one modification that you can make that will enrich the interaction without actually changing how much your child is on a screen. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's also okay to go, yeah, cool, co-viewing sounds awesome. I will make sure I do that a little bit, but there will also be times where in a safe way I put content on because I need to make dinner and that's some of the challenges and there's obviously all this safety stuff you can do that there's heaps of amazing stuff online about how do you make those kind of devices safe um, so that kids aren't kind of being exposed to traumatic content because they're just flicking through YouTube or something like that. I think even the content on some of, you know, even just Bluey as an example, which is a favourite in our household, you never know what's going to be scary or worrying for your kids as well. And I found with my two, like there are even themes in a couple of those episodes that they're not scary. They're not like, you know, mm. obviously Bluey's not like a very confronting show, but it's for whatever reason, things that they've picked up on or an image that they don't like. And so they do feel sensitive to it. And so I think that co-viewing is important as well to understand what your child is witnessing and then if they have, you know, fear around it or they get upset or whatever, you're there to support them. And then once you are confident that it's okay, then, yeah, pop it on, go and make dinner. It's, you know. Yeah, beautiful, Kate. Like I I agree and we see lots of kids in clinic where it's like they're just terrified by like the Mm. rabbit on some show and the Mm. parents like, you know, the approach is not get over it, it's a rabbit. It's Mm. And it's, you know, it's also not, well, you'll never see a rabbit in a cartoon Mm. again. It's what you've said, like how do I support you and validate that experience and comfort you and kind of journey through that kind of experience that this rabbit has really, you know, caused anxiety or fear for you Mm. and then try and understand it and then support them in getting comfortable with that. Mm. I think it's great though that, you know, instead of so much time limits or things like that, it's just working out what works for your family and if there's a problem then, yeah, looking into that. I remember listening to you have an episode on screens Oh, yeah, and, Willy Wonka. Yes, Willy Wonka. <laughs> Made me want to watch Willy Wonka again. <laughs> and Nick said something about the TV being broken and I was laughing because I remember I, when my eldest son, who is now eight, when he was 22 months, we flew to, I flew to England with him without my husband and so obviously very much relied on screens mm-hmm. to get over there and then once we were there, relied on them a lot because travelling with kids, you know, is difficult. <laughs> And anyway, when we came home, he was, and he still is, he's a really, uh, like he has a bit of an addictive personality, I think you would say. So he gets very, not just screens, but anything, anything that he's into at the moment, that's all that exists. So, you know, at the moment it's fishing. So anyway, there's always a theme. There's a theme and nothing else exists and then he'll get over it and then that disappears and then that doesn't, anyway, so he's got that. And so when he's on a screen and when he was younger, he would be that child that you would be talking to and there was nothing blank. He would not eat. He would just stare. And so I had to be really, really mindful of his consumption because it was like the world didn't exist around him, only the screen. And he's still like that. 
And so when we came back from our travels and it was a problem and the screens was a problem and so I was laughing at that episode because I put a sheet over the TV and said the TV had gone. (laughs) It was still there. (laughs) He didn't know. Anyway, I was just laughing because I guess it was good to know that you can come back from anything. Like it was easy. It didn't take long. It was a few days and we came back and then now obviously he has screens and we have it, you know, in a more, I guess, controlled timing though for him I find he needs that because otherwise it's very yeah like you, nothing else exists whereas my other children the tv could be on but they flick in and out they yeah everything else exists they'll come see me in the kitchen they'll do things they won't just sit there whereas with him I have to parent him very differently mm. because he's like that do you think that's okay 100 <laughs> percent. so yeah I mean parents are the ex- validation no definitely definitely and we can yeah of obviously validation but even more than that is that yeah parents are the experts of their kids mm. do you know what I mean and what people like us three professionals around this space what we're trying to do is provide education around what the evidence says but then the parents pick the funny thing about that story with Nick is that yeah that was one of his neighbours and he just felt really guilty because he's like can you just pretend that you've come around to fix the TV and <laughs> pretend it's broken and that guy was like I'm never doing that again and I know that guy is lovely but you know, now, as you were saying, they've come back from that. And when we go around there, we try and get around there a fair bit and get the three girls together. Sometimes they'll watch TV together, mm. you know, but it's we they've always, like, jumped on the trampoline, played with Lego mm. and all that stuff. And if we're being 100% honest, it's usually the bit where we're like, cool, us parents are exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> we would actually like to sit around and talk to each other yeah. where a sentence actually gets to the end <laughs> and have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I've got this beautiful photo of the three girls just sitting on the, their bed watching the TV. Mm. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's fine. That's not detrimental to their development and because they've done all the other stuff and now they're doing this together, Yeah, you know. Mm. So, yeah, it's important that I think people hear those stories and they're not mm. like, oh, God, I'm using the TV, I feel guilty, I'm not going to tell anyone about it and I'm mm-hmm. going to kind of pretend that I'm not doing that. And yeah. So, yeah, it's – and it is, like, it's really important that we help kids learn this from this age. I think the expectation that we'll wait until they're 13 when they're meant to be yeah. able to use Snapchat or something, yeah. do you know what I mean? And then we Flash go, cool, <laughs> on your 13th birthday we'll sit down and have a conversation mm, and we're going yeah. to talk about how to navigate this stuff. Mm. It's wild. We yeah. kind of – it's amazing how much weight we put on our, like, the parent we are tomorrow and we're like, I'll deal with Mm. that tomorrow. Mm. What about, I'm finding this at the moment with my oldest child, what about the size of the screen? Does that make a difference to their brain? Uh, Not so much. Like there is a little bit around kind of, you know, um, vision and eye muscles and all that stuff, but there's, there's not a lot of clarity on that exactly with screen size. But I think there is... It, it obviously makes that experience a lot more insular when they've mm-hmm. got like a tiny little phone and they've got it right up against their face mm-hmm. and they're yeah. in there. And I think that's what is the more helpful thing about like a, hardly any of us are watching TVs anymore, mm-hmm. but it's more prone to being a shared experience. Yeah. Um, so it just makes it a bit harder. But I think, it, you know, an iPad can be a bit easier and a bit more interactive between two people than a phone can. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where I find that helpful is that, if you can direct them towards an option that is more likely to be something that can be done with another person, another kid, you as a co-viewing parent, Mm -hmm. that's where the kind of size of the screen can be valuable. But it's hard because all of us, most of our consumption of screens occurs on our phones Mm -hmm. at the moment. So it's that role modelling perspective of how do I shift back against that. Mm -hmm. You see that like on the street people 
I mean, I do this too, you know, walking and looking at your phone and, and nothing else exists and then you bump <laughs> into someone or because, yeah, I guess that, that phone has become your vortex. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I, I read somewhere about TVs being better for children mm. because in their peripheral then they have other things. The world. They can, the world is still <laughs> there. Whereas when they have a screen, uh, sorry, like an iPad or a phone, yeah, they're definitely more sort of consumed. And that's what I'm finding hard because my elder son, we have the world's oldest iPad. It is 13 years old. It does barely anything. It doesn't go on the internet. Yeah, because you can't update it. No, it does nothing. (laughs) But he keeps asking, he wants to play Minecraft. Mm. Anyway, and I feel really funny about it because it's sort of, I feel like he's entering the gaming world but all of his friends are doing Minecraft and so we've allowed him to play Minecraft now but... I feel really funny about it because then it makes him do an, an isolated thing yeah. and he's not watching TV with his sister and, in the you know, I still make him sit in the lounge room so I can make sure he's doing what he's meant to be doing and not yeah. going on to some, I don't know what he could go on to, but I just, he's still there with us. But, yeah, I just don't know how I feel about it still. But it's okay not to know how to feel about it. And yeah. the thing you should be doing is talking to people like us today about it, you know, like including same age peers, talking to the mm. other parents and mm. saying like, hey, how are you going with this? Like they're all talking about being on Minecraft and, mm. you know, those parents will have really good strategies that they've got in place and you go, cool, that'll work in our family. Actually it won't or yeah. I don't want my child using the screen as much as yours is or whatever. But mm. It's a really important bit about it, and what you're also demonstrating beautifully, Luca, is that we're gonna we're gonna slightly stretch on this, mm-hmm. and we're gonna make sure that it keeps working for us, and we succeed at it. And as you've said, if we need to come back from it, we will. Mm-hmm. But let's see how we go with this first, as opposed to, cool, you've turned this age now. Here's the phone or the iPad. Go and do whatever you want. I've got no idea of how I'm supporting you. Mm-hmm. I've got no idea what you're doing with it. So, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful demonstration of how we stretch. And we kind of, in a lot of parenting things, what we need to do is a lot of management with younger kids, but we want to get to the point where they have more independence and then we almost become that consultant Mm. that they come in and go, hey, I've been being bullied on social media and they feel comfortable because we built that comfort in the conversation and that Mm. pathway to come and talk to us earlier on with simpler stuff around it as opposed to they hide away from it because they know we get frustrated when they're on the screen or when they're doing those things. Mm. It's... Yeah, it's an important part of it and I think that it's, yeah, and you just, we, we all learn off each other what tricks we're all using and what, what works. I guess just like we don't want to demonise it for parents, we don't want to, as the parent, demonise it for our kids because then as their use of technology evolves and they are, you know, online and on social media and all those very terrifying things to think about, mm. that they do feel like I can tell mum and dad about this because, yeah, they're not going to shame me, they're not going to, you know, get angry that I was on Instagram or TikTok, probably not Instagram, <laughs> that's showing my age, <laughs> threads and <laughs> Snapchat and TikTok. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so the, but, but you're right. The most important bit of it is unconditional support. Yeah. You can still be upset and be like, I can't believe you've been on that for four hours or mm-hmm. whatever, but unconditional support, it makes them feel like they've got a safe harbour about yeah. everything. Mm-hmm but particularly with screens mm. because there is a world that all of us are going to have to handle where they're going to go, they're going to be teenagers mm. with screens and devices and none of us went through that in the level that kids are now. No, it scares me. I'm just hoping it's going to loop back around. You know how there's things like from our parents' generation that were like, 
really cool for them and then really daggy. Nokia 3350 well, no, coming back in. Like, don't you think like there was like generations that had heaps of tattoos and then there was generations that had like not many tattoos and then tattoos became popular again. Like it kind of, there's I don't I don't know, know. the lack of screens. Is I don't know. Go. I, I love that optimism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm hoping. <laughs> I've yeah. still got a long time with mine there. Well, it's probably not that long, but who knows? A lot could change in a decade. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, we, I mean, we know the age is shifting down, you know, mm. there's the recommendations and then there's what's actually happening mm. and kids are on, you know, they're in these social environments online a lot sooner yeah. than they were, you know, even five, ten years ago. So it is that challenge of like what's my – and the hardest thing about parenting is it's it's very easy to say get out ahead of stuff before it comes, mm-hmm. but in your day-to-day life you're usually just surviving, keeping your head above water, reacting to what's happening in the moment. Mm. And it's a really important one about – how do I, you know, provide guidance around healthy use of this stuff mm. while also role modelling that I struggle and I'm working on it as well? Mm-hmm. And from pre-verbal, that's important. You mm. know what I mean? It's I think a lot of the time around a lot of parenting stuff where like it matters how I say this, especially at the end of the day, but a lot of it is kind of kids are just watching us and going, his mum really goes to the phone when she's stressed or, mm. you know, dad kind of just sits for hours playing video games and mm. stuff. And I'm, I love playing video games, but I've, I've got to be conscious that for my own mental health, I've got to do it in a way that's balanced and moderated, but also for Evie coming up because she will remember that. And, you know, that's the thing. We look back and we think, oh, back in when we were kids, our parents didn't have screens and stuff. But if we're, if we're telling ourselves that they were parenting us perfectly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they just had a different set of stuff. They oh, were they just were on the, the landline phone all day or there was, other, <laughs> there was other things that consumed them. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I did see a, oh, I can't remember, post article meme something <laughs> or something online about how um, the children of today, they do have a challenge that is new of competing for our attention from screens, which was quite confronting to me, like thinking, you know, then especially in these younger age groups where they are really seeking that connection and they're they're looking to you so frequently, probably more than we even realise, and that often we are preoccupied with the screen or it might be that we, we're not necessarily on it all the time but a, a notification goes off and we go to it. And so there is that, yeah, they're competing for for maintaining our attention, which is a new phenomenon for, for that generation. I was like, oh, that's, um, yeah, quite confronting to me. Definitely. Like, and, you know, I can completely relate to mm. that in my daily life that I, yeah, I find that, yeah, my phone buzzes and I can be playing with Evie, but I really find it hard not to go and pick it up and see mm. what it was, you yeah. know, and it's crazy. I adore my daughter. Like I love playing mm-hmm. with her. I don't get enough time to do it, but... It's also about me making my life easier for myself in those moments, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, for example, at the moment because we've got a two-bedroom place and uh, our one-month-old is um, with Annalise in the room and so I'm in a single bed in the uh, two-year-old's room mm-hmm. and I've just created this really bad habit as this so-called expert of she just wakes up at midnight and wants to come into my bed and, like, yeah. just sleeps the rest of the night on top mm. of me. <laughs> so, That's yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. I, I love it. I wouldn't change it. Mm. The problem is that she knows that I always start my morning by checking all my emails and stuff yeah. and so she's been doing that with me now and so I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to get in the habit. So I'm pushing back against that and making it like logistically harder for me to fall into that trap and just moving the phone away because I just used to reach over, yeah. check all the emails, what's mm-hmm. going on on the socials, like for the podcast and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But now 
I've just taken that physically away and she resisted it a bit at first. I was like, where's the phone? And she just says videos because she wants to watch videos, videos, videos. But now we do different stuff. Like mm. we've got these like practices that we do in the morning yeah, that beautiful. are really nice that are instead. But it's also it's making it easier for me in that moment of like that competition between interacting with Evie and being on my phone. Mm. But I'm hopeless at it. And it's annoying because I don't know about both of you, I've got a partner who doesn't struggle with this at all. Mm. Oh, I'm the exact same. My husband has no oh, social yeah. media, nothing. <laughs> and he's always going on at me and I'm like, you know this is how I make money. Like, yeah. And also he's not working at the moment. He's a stay-at-home dad. I'm like, you know that like you rely on this money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's so hard. But I, I also love that he's not in this because he keeps it really humble and he brings me back down and he'll pull me up on things and – I need that because it can be really addictive and, yeah, to just step away from it. I think that's the hard thing is, you know, I used to have a job as a midwife where I would go to work and then I would come home and I would be fully present and now I don't have that and I am trying to get better and I guess it's all reflective practice at This is actually really therapeutic for me to hear. I'm glad. (laughs) I'll teach you. (laughs) But, yeah, it's reflective practice because I'm like, no, I need to actually have off times and I need to have – now that I'm working full-time, I'm like, I need to have time with my children where they're not competing, like Kate Mm -hmm. said. I actually saw the most amazing – I'll have to try and find it to share when we share this podcast – this amazing video and it was some speaker of some sort and he was holding a phone in his hand as he gave the presentation And he was saying, like, even though he wasn't looking at the phone, it wasn't on, he said, do you feel like the most important person in the room right now, Mm. even though I'm holding this phone? And it was quite obvious that, no, we don't feel that important when we're watching this man speak because he's holding this phone Mm. and this phone seems more important than me as he's speaking. But then he put the phone in his back pocket and had his hands free and was looking at everybody and he was like, now do you feel more important? It was pretty amazing because I think, you know, when my children come up to me and speak to me or ask me something, I always, you know, if I'm on my phone, I always will put it down and give them my attention, but I'm still always holding it. It's still there. Or he's like, you know, if you're at a restaurant and your phone's on the table, even Mm. if it's face down, Mm. are you giving everyone, you know, the utmost attention? And it's true, the phone, if it went off, that's what you would go to and that's where your eyes would go to. Yeah, I mean, so many levels. But, yeah, I was in clinic yesterday and had someone sitting in with me and I was connecting with a family I'd just met, that devastating stuff going on for them and trying to connect with them and the person who was, like, sitting behind me observing their phone buzzed and they checked it and it was Mm. just in my periphery and it completely took me out of the clinical interaction with this family and Mm. I was just like, oh, God, it wasn't that person's fault. Yeah. But it just changed the dynamic in the moment of how engaged we all work with each other and it's really hard like it's it's going to sound so cheesy but you know there and there won't be this moment but if there was this moment at the end of the life our lives when you look back you're not going to be like i wish i'd check social mm-hmm. media more you'll be like i wish i'd interacted with my kid more so it's just so hard in the moment isn't it because yeah. you're just drawn to this stuff and it also it can be really frustrating and really boring sometimes spending hours and hours with a oh, toddler absolutely <laughs> so, yes you know <laughs> That's the hard thing about it is that sometimes you're like, oh, my God, I can't keep playing this game of, like, doing this thing. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like um, I, I try to have really good boundaries around my phone usage with the kids, but then it creates a bit of a dynamic in my relationship with Mike because let's say – so I'm usually with the kids Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I really, really make an effort to not be checking all the things. Like if there's something urgent, you know, a text message to – 
Michael, like to Luca or something that like I would respond to that kind of stuff. But for the most part, if it's social or if it's otherwise work related, I just leave it. But then in the evenings, the kids go to bed and Mike's home and suddenly it's our time together. But I know that I've got this like to-do list of like, there's these emails that have come through. There are things that need actioning, but then that eats into the time with Mike. And so I know he often is like, can you put your phone away? Like, don't be on it now. Like, you know, you haven't been on it around the kids, but then I'm here and he feels unimportant. And then at the same time, as much as I, I fully appreciate that and I I understand why he would feel that way. I can put the phone away, but if the mental to-do list is there, I'm still not present because I'm still like, when am I going to get a chance? Like Mm -hmm. my friends just know I'm the worst at replying to text messages. I just can't get back to people sometimes and don't get back to people, which, you know, they're very understanding of. But then professionally, especially when, you know, you're running your own business, there's not somebody else who's going to respond to things for you. Um, it can be really challenging to still have that presence when you're like, oh, I just got that 50 things that I've got to action and where's the time going to come from? Like it's, yeah, it's totally a, like a challenge. An, yeah, Annalise is an obstetrician. She's gone sometimes 14, 15 hours, but she mm. comes back in and work is done. Mm, but yeah. there's three of us, this work continues. And there'll be so many people that struggle with that mm. where they're like, where are the boundaries? And it's yeah. really hard because she, Annalise doesn't have to enforce those boundaries. They get set up and they're just structured. This mm-hmm. is when we start surgery. This is when we end surgery and that's her day. Yeah. Whereas for us, it's like flexible. But the amazing thing is I'm lucky enough to know Mike and know that <laughs> he's trying to figure this out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to like beating himself up about it or putting his head in the sand. He's like, mm-hmm. how do I figure out how to navigate this space as mm-hmm. a parent that has these kind of conflicting struggles and pressures on me Mm. but it's yeah it's really tough the beautiful thing about this which is we're actually doing it right now is social media can be a positive in so many ways including opening up discussions about this and sharing the evidence and what does it look like and all of that stuff because that's the duality of it is that we know there's a lot of kids in teenage years that will experience cyberbullying and you know they'll be really isolated and you know, really significant deficits to their mental health and we're seeing an escalation across our communities and, you know, that will be playing a role in that. But there is also this connectedness that can happen through it, you know, so that's the important bit and whether it's Minecraft or whether it's, you know, social media platforms or whatever it is, all of, you know, what's rich about our lives is our interactions and they're very different online but there, there is still some element of it and, Often, you know, that's kind of how do we, we all do this. We help our kids navigate social relationships in real life. We need to help them navigate kind of these social relationships online and how they view it, healthy use of it and all this stuff. And that's, yeah, I have exactly the same thing. I'm just, that's my biggest stress is not how much Yvette is seeing a screen, it's how much I am. Mm, <laughs> you yeah. know? So that's the challenge and I'll need to figure that out really to be able to give good guidance to Yvette. Mm. So true. Oh, I feel like we could chat to you yeah. all day about this. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to come back to Melbourne. What yeah. a shame. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming back onto our podcast. We've so appreciated picking your brain and we'll link your podcast in the show notes and where to find you so that everyone can continue to listen and learn from you. Thanks, Luca. Thanks, Kate. Thank you for listening to Boob to Food, the podcast. We hope this episode made you feel inspired, confident and less overwhelmed in your parenting journey. Head to the show notes for all the resources mentioned on today's episode. And if you loved this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate and review. 
see you next week. Bye.